Hi, and welcome to the Hootcast, a podcast where we explore the unexpected ways that brands are using social for their business. My name is Liam. And my name is Emily. We're really excited to be here today as this is our first episode kicking off a brand new year. And we're going to start off this episode with a little bit of trivia. Are we? I thought we agreed against that. Oh no, we are. Okay, but this is uh, the last time this week. Okay, deal. So what building has over 8 million historical objects in it? Uh, Is it your apartment? (laughs) No, I don't even have eight objects in my apartment. It's a shoebox. It's actually the British Museum. They're a world-class museum that has, as you now know, over 8 million historical objects. They've also got a really cool social strategy for how they share their collections with the world. And Night at the Museum was also filmed there. See, I feel like that's trivia that I would have gotten. That's true. I should have led with that one. The British Museum Senior Marketing Manager, Kate Carter, will be joining us to tell us about some of the things that they've been experimenting with on social. So lots of cool stuff coming up, and we hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. When you think of a museum, you don't immediately think of social and and being really active in that space. So what is the British Museum's mission and main goal on social media? I guess it's uh, essentially interpreting the museum's mission generally, which is we are a museum of the world for the world. So we have uh, over two million years of human history brought together under one roof here in London, which includes um, some of the greatest cultural achievements um, of of every culture that has ever existed. So we've got over 8 million objects from across the world. And so social is kind of the perfect space, really, for us to be trying to, to tell that story. So the audience that we have now across Twitter, Facebook and Instagram is kind of in the millions. Um, and, you know, we hope that that will continue to grow. And it's hugely international. It's, um, you know, between 80 to 90 percent overseas. So what we believe we're doing with social is really kind of fulfilling our mission, which is to bring this world collection to the world. Uh, So on social, how do you measure your success? What are your KPIs? We started off with the usual reasonably blunt metrics, I guess, around kind of how many followers do we have and and trying to make that grow, which is still important. Um, I think it's still important to look at that overall size of the audience. But increasingly, we're looking at the number of interactions that we're generating and the rate of engagement um, for the different platforms, um, how fast is the growth, um, how engaged uh, followers as a percentage of our followers with the content that we're actually posting and also benchmarking more and more against our peers as well. So, you know, we compare ourselves not just to other museums in London or the UK, but across the world and, and see who's doing that really well and, and you know, m- making sure that we're kind of constantly trying to be, to be up there amongst the best. So you've gone from measuring social following to also looking at engagement and diving a little bit into competitor analysis as well. And also looking at our responsiveness. So that, as I said, the customer service bit has become an increasingly important part. So we're now looking at how many people's tweets, you know, when they have questions, how many of those are we replying to, how quickly are we replying, how much added value are we bringing to people by being able to respond to feedback or you know, to answer those questions to help them navigate our website, etc. So like you said, you are a museum of the world for the world and your social following definitely reflects that. 
You have over a million followers on Twitter and Facebook and almost a million on Instagram. And so when we were looking at that, we were thinking, you likely have two separate audiences. So people who come into the museum and they follow you and so they're fans. But then people who are also fans who may never come in and want to learn about the history that you share. So how do you balance that experience on social? It's really interesting that you kind of presented it like that, because I guess the way I like to think about it is that everyone in the world is someone who has maybe visited the British Museum once in their lives or potentially, hopefully will one day visit or that, you know, that they hope to in some way. And maybe that visit becomes you know, something that we can provide through a virtual reality experience. But I don't believe there's anyone out there who might be choosing to follow with us, follow us or engage with us on social who has no intention of ever stepping through our doors in some form. So I like to think of it more as this kind of continuous sort of lifetime relationship that we have with people that they're either hoping one day to come uh, or they're physically here right now you know, or they're planning their visit um, on site. How can we better support that? Or they came, uh, you know, even if it was once upon a time, we still get amazing comments from people on our Facebook posts saying, I came to that exhibition in 1972 and I had the most amazing time. And there's a lot of nostalgia for that. Um, it can be a really um, special visit for people. So, you know, that post-visit experience can last decades. So I like to see people in that kind of, yeah, as I say, in this kind of lifelong relationship with us rather than the visitors and the not visitors, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So even the people that may have not come yet, you would still consider like an aspirational audience rather than defining that bucket as people who may never come. Exactly. Because we, I mean, that's, that's kind of reading, I guess, into the sentiment we see in the comments on our, on our content. You know, people talk about how much they hope to come or, or how much they loved coming um, in the past. And so um, I, that's really informed my way of thinking about that audience. And rather than putting them into a box of assuming that they'll, they'll only ever have this relationship with us through interacting with our Facebook posts, I like to think that you know, there could be potentially something more substantial that we can offer them. And like you said, even offering like a virtual tour that in and of itself is a form of visiting the museum. So really, it's, exactly. it's open to everyone, right? That's the idea. That's the hope, anyway. Do you find, since you've really ramped up your social, that it's been an important way for you to reach out to young people in particular, to discover the British Museum and, and learn about historical collections that they might not otherwise see? Yeah, I think absolutely. And um, we obviously see of trends in audiences that are engaging with us on social that um, might be different to the ones that we're picking up through other more traditional methods like surveys and things like that. So that's, you know, we, you know that obviously exists and, and by channel as well, there are big differences. So our Instagram audience is, you know, on average much younger than our Facebook audience, which doesn't mean that we necessarily... Um, think about the content differently because we think about people more in terms of their areas of interest rather than grouping them by age. But certainly looking at like the youngest end of the spectrum and thinking about how we engage kind of kids and young people, you know, we do a lot of programming around that. We have an amazing um, schools and families program. Um, we have the Samsung Digital Discovery Center in the museum, which has this incredible program of digital-based activities for young people. And so a lot of increasingly kind of we're looking at how we integrate social media into those experiences, but also how we use social to, to better promote them as well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that you mentioned that rather than targeting by age, you look at areas of interest. I think that's something that a lot of brands could learn from. I think that we get hyper-focused on, you know, targeting millennials or a certain age demographic and making kind of assumptions about what they would want to see. So you've actually noticed through sharing content that you see, I'm assuming, like a wide range of interest across age groups based on different types of, of content. 
Yeah, exactly. And and you know, we see with you know with different exhibitions and um, we might be putting on that uh you know, or maybe um a live broadcast that we're doing that you kind of bring together a community of people who who might seem demographically quite diverse by those kind of traditional categories, but have a really shared interest. And you know, something like history or art is something that, you know, does connect across those different segments. And um you know, it might be that you've got kind of students who are currently studying that now, um, at school or at university, you know, or people who are kind of real history buffs, you know, who read a lot, you know, in their spare time or the people who are actually kind of specialists working in the field and they can all have that sort of shared interest, even though they're in kind of very different places in their lives. Do you have any channel specific strategies or tips that you could share? I think we've realized that by becoming more channel specific, that in itself has made us more successful across the board. I think a couple of years ago, we were in a situation where we were cross-posting a lot. We were kind of thinking about what are we going to show on social media on Wednesday? And we'd kind of adapt that message, you know, due to the, you know, like we'd edit the characters down to fit it on Twitter. We might think about the image differently for Instagram, but essentially we were sharing the same kind of stuff. Whereas now we plan totally differently. We plan every channel separately. So, you know, as well as thinking about you know, what's coming up this week, next week, next month, et cetera, we're also thinking about what does that trajectory look like on Facebook and on Instagram. And we, we do different thematic series of content on the different channels. And, and they really kind of stand alone now in a way that I think has helped them all grow and become kind of more engaging. I think that your emphasis on having a channel specific strategy is really important. That's something in our educational content that we definitely emphasize because as you know, you can see from your big following on every channel, people are following you on those different channels for different reasons because you're offering a different experience that is specific to that platform. And so we love hearing that. You do a lot of cool stuff on Facebook and with Facebook Live as well. Do you think that you could tell us a little bit about that? So Facebook Live has definitely become really important to our strategy and we're, we're trying to do a lot more live broadcasts. We find that they they do something quite special, I guess, and that other video formats don't do, which is that sense of kind of bringing people together around a moment and, and just for that kind of maybe half an hour or something that you're broadcasting, um, you know, you, you manage to bring together sort of thousands of people uh, who are all over the world. We did a few recently where we had comments from people in over 90 countries, um, which is phenomenal to see. And what we always do is get people to tell us where they're watching from. So you can kind of see these comments flooding in with all these different cities and, and states and countries. And people, I think the audience get a kick out of that as much as we do, because it, it feels kind of exciting to be to have that sense that somehow all these people are collectively experiencing something, even though they obviously are in completely different environments. It's different times of day, you know, where they are, but they're all kind of coming together to um, to watch something that's being done only for them. And that's also really key for us with Facebook Live. We don't really live stream an event that's kind of happening anyway for a public audience. We do something bespoke for that online live audience. So we take them behind the scenes, we give them an exclusive tour, we, we get a curator to explain something, but they're doing it only for the people watching and taking their questions and making it interactive. And there is a there is a kind of a palpable sense of a buzz around creating that that I think is hard to get across in something that's you know a bit more sort of had more kind of post production and and feels more maybe a bit more slick and polished but doesn't have that same energy about it. Would you say that one of your goals is to connect people from around the world around one central experience or one one learning experience? Yeah, I mean, I do want to start sounding like we're Facebook, um, kind of connecting every human on the planet. But um, but yeah, I think there is something about that. And I guess for us, it's just that we, ha- we have such a range of experiences to offer, you know, um, the, the content, you know, the collection is so broad, um, you know, from 
you know, contemporary art to you know, ancient sculpture and, and everything in between. So we feel like, you know, we, we are in this really privileged position of being able to offer this series of unique experiences that people can choose to kind of come together and be part of, you know, if they, if they follow us and, and choose to tune in. What are some ways that you're using uh, Instagram? Do you do anything with the stories? Is it just uh, just images? What, what, are, what are your strategies around that? Yeah, um, I think we'd, we'd like to be doing more with Instagram stories. We're, we're definitely kind of ramping it up a little bit more recently. I think it's sort of similar to that realization we had a couple of years ago around being more channel specific is that actually I think Instagram news feed and Instagram stories are two different channels and it's, it's more helpful for us to pretty much think of them as two kind of connected but very different formats and environments and ways of storytelling. So now that we've sort of separated them a bit more in our minds that's really helped with the kind of loosening up and being a bit more creative with the Instagram stories I think we try to use them to be a bit more a bit more playful a bit more spontaneous it changes things knowing that it's only going to last for 24 hours and that's something ephemeral whereas I think with lots of other people the way that we kind of curate our feed you know there's a lot more thought that goes into that in terms of the image selection and the, the length of information that we want to share we try and you know make sure that each post is, has a really high quality story to tell and a, and a visual um, that's really strong and kind of enduring and that they sit together. So we tend to post things in threes so that they have this sense of this kind of little thematic journeys, which is quite a considered approach, I guess, whereas Instagram stories is, as I say, something that you know feels much more, much more ephemeral. I really like the 360 virtual tour that you guys have on your Facebook. Would you mind diving a little bit more into that? Yeah, sure. So this has been a collaborative pilot that we've done with Oculus. So we've worked with them directly, but it's the first of its kind experience where you've got a, an interactive 360 virtual reality experience directly within newsfeed. You don't have to go outside of your newsfeed to, to experience it. So it works uh, if you're using the Facebook app on your phone, but if you obviously want to go all the way into immersing yourself in it, then you can put that phone into a, you know, a Samsung Gear VR headset and then you essentially feel like you're walking around the galleries. That's so cool. We were really getting a kick out of trying it out. And I think it's such a cool way to offer that experience to people who haven't been to the British Museum or would love to come but haven't had that, you know, in-person experience, you're offering now that digitally. So that's really cool. What was exciting for us about it is that VR still feels like something that, you know, a lot of people don't have the devices yet and it still feels like people are kind of in an early stage of exploring that. And what's nice is that this really puts it straight into people's, into their phones, into their hands, you know, puts the museum at your fingertips. We noticed that you use long captions to really describe a scene or provide a lot of context for what people are seeing. How does that fit into your digital strategy? Is that around storytelling or education or both? Or Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we feel that, you know, we are the custodians of this amazing collection and lots of the objects are visually stunning uh, in their own right and, and maybe it would be enough to look at them but but we you know with every object there's a story behind it there's a reason why you know it it, it has this particular status that you know that, it, that it's now part of the British Museum collection so and for us it's about bringing the people to life that are part of the object story so who, who made it who you know who was it made for who's worn it who's used it how is it used you know how might that relate to something that's happening today and we try to kind of bring the object to life with that sort of human aspect, I guess, to them. And, and that re does require a few words to kind of to sort of tell that story. And I can imagine, too, that providing that context for people also helps them to appreciate what they're seeing more as well. I think so. I mean, just personally, 
you know, I often feel that it's when the curators really start describing an object to me that I get excited about it and I start, um, you know, they, they, get, they have little anecdotes about it. That's, that's the stuff we want to try and capture and bottle and, and you know, share that with our followers on social because not everyone finds world history instantly accessible. You know, something that, you know, is not very familiar to you and your culture. It sometimes takes uh, a little more of an explanation to relate to an object and to get inside the heads of the people that, that made it maybe thousands of years ago. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely have the same experience when I have a better understanding of what I'm seeing. I have so much more of an appreciation for for what it is and where it's come from. So how do you feature exhibits on social? So what makes certain exhibits social media friendly or do you do not kind of divide out exhibitions that way or do you have certain ones that you choose? I think every object that's in the collection has a story to tell and therefore, you know, has its place on social media. Um, and over the years, hopefully we'll get around all 8 million or so of them. But I guess our selection criteria in terms of, you know, what are we posting you know, now, this week, coming up, is trying to find that balance. So we're always trying to make sure we're being representative and sharing a range of objects that come from different parts of the world, different cultures and different religions. And, um, you know, we, we try to have a balance in terms of things that maybe were made or about kind of men and women. And uh, so the diversity of the collection is something that's really important. And and often it would be easy for us to default to sharing the things that we know are are super popular. You know, we could look at our analytics on social and see, okay, well, people love Egyptian stuff. We could just only talk about that and it would go really well, but it would be neglecting our duty to to actually share some of the lesser known parts of the collection. And, you know, there's some amazing objects that are far less famous, but have incredible stories to tell. And and so part of the job is, I guess, unearthing some of those and bringing them into the spotlight as much as the ones that that we know have have huge appeal and and that people want to see and that that will always continue to share on a regular basis. Yeah and in that way you are really important educators and using social to educate as well not just get the highest engagement on every single post but also to inform your audience. Exactly. We want to take the audience on a bit of a journey with us. You know, there's something that's really important to us is that sense that people trust the British Museum and that they trust us to to take them to places that they might not have gone themselves. So whether that's, you know, a culture that they've never heard of or, you know, an, an aspect of, of the past that might surprise them or the fact that we continue to collect contemporary objects and, you know, um, the museum is continually making new acquisitions and you know, contemporary art pieces from around the world to kind of carry on telling that story of, of humanity. And it, yeah, that, it's one of our challenges, um, as well as one of the real joys, is, is, is trying to kind of get all of that across. It's just, there's just so much to share. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think that's something that almost any business or any brand could learn from the British Museum is that if you're telling stories and you're actually generating interest and educating and, and sharing things that are genuinely engaging, then then it, it really it resonates with people instead of just being talked at or, or told things to. Do you have any stories uh, of a campaign or strategy that really worked well, something that you did that you saw a huge engagement or, or really good results from? I think it's often been just nice little examples of things where I feel like we've brought something unique to a wider conversation. So, for example, a couple of years ago now, actually, but something that worked really well for us, both for the Rugby World Cup and the Football World Cup, we did some really cool um, object pairings where every time a match was played, we took an object from each of the countries that was playing and, and tried to like pair them up so we'd have maybe like two different necklaces or two different helmets or something like that. And you can see kind of instantly and visually the... 
the fact that these two countries have this kind of sh kind of shared history. They have things in common, but also that they have these distinct styles, and that worked really well. People really responded to that, and we got a lot of interest, not just from the public, but some of the football teams themselves. Well, the official Rugby World Cup, I think, account um, shared one of our posts and some of the kind of embassies around the world who were sort of supporting their teams. And that was, that was a really nice way of us kind of bringing something into a, a much bigger conversation that, that perhaps no one else could do. And I think that's the, the tricky thing about getting a, a campaign right is working out what you can bring that's unique. And sometimes the answer to that question is nothing and therefore you have to step away and let other people take the stage. And so... Uh, I think that's been a big learning for us as well as you know, trying to figure out what we can bring that means that, that it will add something really special as opposed to just jumping on a bandwagon for the sake of it. Yeah, I think that's really good advice for brands out there to make sure that any campaign that you build or you know an event that you want to be part of, that it's relevant and that, like you said, you are adding unique value to people's experience. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. You've given us so many good insights. And I love the the whole storytelling angle. Uh, really gets me excited, and I'd love to check out the museum sometime. Oh yeah, well please make sure you come and visit us next time you're here. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Kate. It was it was really great to have you on. Thanks for having me. So that was Kate Carter from the British Museum walking us through some of the things that they've been doing on social. A little bit of VR. Some Facebook Live. Really cool stuff on their Instagram channel if you haven't checked that out. And if you want to check out more of their stuff that they've been up to, then we will be including some links in the show notes. That's our show for today. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>